0: touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: and Welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we've got our topic, courtesy of a listener request.
0: Uh yes, this is listener Mike via Twitter. I didn't write down his screen name, so one of the mics on Twitter. Thank you, sir.
1: <laughs> and said, have you done a podcast on gene therapy? Is that something that the uh, at Blow the Mind would do instead? That's uh stuff to blow your mind. That's the
0: Robert the, and Julie. Yeah. Robert
1: and Julie doing their uh their science podcast. And we really we've talked about gene therapy a little bit uh, on tech stuff in the past. We've never done a full episode on it. We've also talked about it on a sister podcast, the Forward Thinking Podcast.
0: All right, along with Joe McCormick, we we did a a really great introduction of what genes are and some of the really interesting cutting edge stuff going on in gene therapy. So. If you would like to listen to that, we we highly recommend it. We think that we did a pretty excellent job.
1: Yeah, yeah. The fact that we had Joe there to you know put facts in between the <laughs> jokes that I made and the shaking of Lauren's head, it really was different from a tech stuff episode. No, yeah. Of course, I'm proud of all the work we do, and that one was a great show. But we're going to give an overview of what genes are and some of the actual technical ways that. Uh, scientists and doctors are working with gene therapy right now because in the forward thinking episode it was more about the applications right it was more about why you would use it and not the how like how is it actually done and it's kind of fascinating
0: yeah absolutely and and this is by the way one of those things that we kind of struggle with all the time of of you know we'll we'll come up with a concept for a show and then go Oh, should we check with car stuff? Should we check with the mind? Should we, you know, who should we ask and make sure that we're not treading on their toes? Are we
1: copying ourselves because we uh, already did a (laughs) forward thinking episode?
0: And really the answer is always um, if it's interesting and there's more avenues within a topic to talk about, then.
1: Then we'll go ahead and cover it. So let's start with the very basics. And to start with the very basics, we've got to look at cellular biology. Uh, so anyone who is currently in middle school is going to be able to go on about this at length. I actually had to go back and look up all this information because middle school was a long time ago for me. And while I was originally interested in going into biology – Many really? years have. Oh yeah, oh. no. I was biology was number one, and then oh, that uh, was
0: always terrible. Most mostly that was not my branch of science. Anyway,
1: biology and physics. I loved them, and then I got into college and I switched to English literature <laughs> uh, with a focus on Shakespeare, and now I talk about technology. So I mean, it's a clear pathway. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Logical progression.
1: So cells, you know. Cells, the basic uh, little unit of life for uh, for us, we human beings, and most of the stuff we tend to interact with that isn't super teeny tiny. Um, Cells have what is called a nucleus. It's kind of the brain center of a cell, the control center, if you prefer. And they have a cell membrane. And both of these things are incredibly important with gene therapy. Yep. So within the nucleus, you've got chromosomes, and chromosomes are made up of two things, DNA and protein. And the DNA is, uh, the, that's sort of the very basics of what makes you, you. And along those chromosomes are little sections of DNA that we call genes. Right. Now the genes, their job is to uh, code for the production of particular proteins. And that's what we call a gene uh, expressing itself. When a gene is expressed, it's coding for a protein. And that's also important because with gene therapy, one of the goals is to introduce new genes into uh, a a cell so that a particular thing is expressed, a particular protein is created, and it doesn't always work. Right. So, uh, and the reason for that is because gene therapy, this is still a very young science and, uh, and sometimes the techniques we use have high success rates. Sometimes they have low success rates. And so it may be that you're doing everything right, but, or, or as right as we know how to do right now. But it's still not, you know, a 100% success rate.
0: Uh, right. Since it's so experimental right now, we're currently only using gene therapy to, um, to treat otherwise incurable diseases and particularly, uh, childhood diseases. Right.
1: And only in clinical trials for that matter.
0: Uh, right. You, you have to be part of a clinical trial and the only gene therapy that is going on is being conducted on somatic cells. Those are, those are body cells as opposed to reproductive cells. Right. Which means that uh, any changes that are going on, and and the kinds of changes that we're making are, are either inserting normal genes, repairing abnormal ones, or uh, altering the kind of on-off switches right. of those genes. Um, they're only going to affect the patient, and any hypothetical offspring of that patient would not
1: would not uh, would not inherit those correct. those genetic changes because again they're somatic, not the reproductive cells. So, uh, and another issue with gene therapy, similar to that, is that uh, often the benefits that you experience with gene therapy are temporary in nature and that you have to undergo multiple gene therapy sessions to have any lasting effect because they don't necessarily uh, change the genome. It doesn't necessarily change everything like the actual uh, the way the cells are forming from that point forward in your body.
0: Right. It it might just, uh, affect the current expression of that current cell. Right. Of that current gene within that current cell. And
1: if that cell dies, then, you know, yeah. that's the, the benefit you got from that one cell is over.
0: Yeah. Uh, also, genes are really complicated. They, most of them make more than one protein. The right. average is three, uh, which is something that we've learned from the Human Genome Project, which I'll be talking about a little bit later on. Uh, it, it just means that, you know, genes don't have, they're not self-contained bits of DNA, and they right. don't have strictly defined roles.
1: Yeah, so you can't just say, uh. We'll just get
0: rid of that one.
1: Right, yeah, because it, it could be that a disease is actually, uh, the pro- you know, it might be the, the product of a few different genes, and then you have to figure out, well, which one of these genes is is not behaving the right way, you know, which one's the mutated gene? Which one do we need to replace? And then by replacing that gene, are we causing any other issues? Is there some other problem that could happen as a result of going in and altering a person's genes? And this is, like I said, a very young science. So we're still learning. And that's one of the reasons why clinical trials are the only place, at least in the United States, where you can get gene therapy. And it's, you know, because honestly, it's not ready for a full rollout yet.
0: Certainly not, no.
1: So, here we've got a cell. We've got that cell membrane. By the way, DNA does not pass through cell membranes. Cell membranes are semi-permeable, right? Which means that they allow some stuff through and they allow, they keep other stuff either inside or outside. Now, DNA, generally speaking, is something that cells want to keep inside they don't like letting the DNA go flying out all over the place
0: it's, it's a better idea yes
1: so that means that if we want to introduce DNA into a cell we have to kind of find a way of getting the DNA through the membrane without damaging the cell because clearly or the DNA or the DNA so if you kill the cell in the process
0: that that's not what we call useful we call yeah.
1: that we call that a fail <laughs> you know that's that's generally speaking that's a failure you yeah. don't you don't want the cell to die so Finding a way to get DNA material into a cell, so getting a good gene through that cell wall without killing the cell, has been really the main focus of uh, genetic therapy over the last couple of decades. So there are a lot of different ways of doing it, and we could either go about this chronologically or we could uh, try thematically or maybe alphabetically, but we kind of decided (laughs) like the first one we wanted to look at is, in a way... Sort of the simplest, at least in concept, if not in practice. I,
0: and I, I guess the we're we're going to cover two basic categories yeah. um, in in this podcast today, and, and a couple sort of outliers. And and right, there's a bunch more. We'll talk about that a little bit at the tail end of the episode. And I guess that we're sort of going chronologically a Kinda. little bit.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a little bit of a jump around, but, but yeah. But the first one we wanted to talk about is micro injection.
0: Which is more or less what it sounds like.
1: Yeah, you're talking about a very, very tiny, uh, needle going into a cell and injecting DNA material directly into either the cytoplasm, which is the, uh, the stuff inside a cell membrane, just in general. That's, that's the, uh, both the fluid and all the little organelles and everything that are in a cell. Or you're injecting it directly into the nucleus, which is where the DNA material is kept. So in other words, you are using a needle And you're just inserting the DNA directly there. Now, when you're talking about cell, cells are, uh, I don't know if you know this. They're tiny.
0: They're, they're really little.
1: Yeah, you might think that, uh, the, the needle that you're getting for a tetanus shot is huge. Well, it is pretty big, but to a cell, that's gargantuan. All right, I'm
0: I'm nearly positive that many cells could fit inside the tube.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so you need to find a very, very fine needle, and you have to be able to make.
0: Really, you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna just stumble over one of those. I know. Okay. Well, I
1: mean, you know, if if you happen to stumble in a lab, you might, but (laughs) I I accept that. Yes, you you make. An incredibly fine needle. And you actually, you kind of need two. One of them is just less fine than the other one. The other one's more of a pipette. And the reason for that is you have to immobilize the cell that you want to uh, right. you, inject.
0: You need to kind of hold it down because otherwise cells are sort of squ- squiggly. And... Yeah.
1: Yeah. They are, they do tend to squiggle.
0: Okay. So, so this, this technique was really pioneered or the, the, Needle microinjection in general was pioneered by one Dr. Marshall Barber in the early 1900s. Um, he was developing it to study bacteria and confirm the germ theory that was being developed around that time by a and pastor mm. um, uh, who would who would basically um, outline the entire germs make us sick. Kind of concept, right,
1: which was revolutionary at the time.
0: Right, it's still. I'm still pretty glad that we have it. Yes. I'm, I think <laughs> I think it's great. So early on, like through the 1960s, early mm. on, I mean, this was a very slowly developing field of study. Uh, microinjection was used to implant whole organisms and embryos into larger bodies. Then in the 1970s, we started implanting uh, cellular organelles and molecules um, and uh, other relatively large bits of stuff into cells. And then as we got into genetic study in the mid 80s, we began injecting uh, stuff like proteins and DNA and RNA into cell nuclei.
1: Right. So it it obviously took quite a while. And the the general process, again, at least conceptually, is simple. You hold the cell still and then you inject the stuff into it.
0: Yep. Um it's it, it's all it's all the same process, just just as uh, miniaturization of these technologies began to get gooder, yeah smaller. right because
1: <laughs> because otherwise, holding a cell still that's actually pretty tricky they they use these pipettes that use a little bit of suction that immobilize the cell right and then uh you have to have a micro manipulator that's something that allows you to make very, very precise movements because you obviously you could not use. Uh, a, a handheld hypodermic needle—you wouldn't have the precision to be able to uh, to target specifically the nucleus with any level of confidence. I
0: was I was pretty good at duck hunt, and I've got to say that I would not—that I, I don't have that kind of precision. <laughs> yeah, there. that
1: hand-eye coordination is pretty pretty uh, yeah. uh, uh, remarkable. So yeah, <laughs> they usually you have some sort of device that is designed to to steady the needle and direct it properly. Uh, so uh, it has limitations. There are some uh, big ones, actually.
0: Also, in order to really use this technology, we, we would have to start getting into the, um, what we learned through the Human Genome Project, which, um, which didn't really get started until the 1990s. I mean, it, it came about after the atomic bomb project in World War Two, mm-hmm. actually, because, uh, Congress charged the Department of Energy's predecessor agencies with, um, studying and analyzing the genome structure, the replication, damage, and repair and and consequences of genetic mutations mm-hmm. um so you know especially those that were caused by radiation and the chemical byproducts of of nuclear Warfare. energy yeah. production right. right so um I, the the genome project completed its initial research a couple years ahead of schedule in 2003 and um that's basically where where we got most of our information you know that that that, that is the spawn the the, the dawn of gene knowledge.
1: Right. You know, without that, obviously, we couldn't make any uh, any knowledgeable decision about how to go about this at all. Right. We wouldn't know what was wrong, much less how to correct it.
0: All oh, right. And so that's that's why really everything that we're that we're talking about has happened in the past like two decades.
1: Yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. So this one does have microinjection does have some uh, drawbacks. A big one is that you can't really conduct this uh, in vivo, meaning within the body of a patient, because you can't you can't immobilize the cells. You can't really use the micromanipulator to inject something directly. All this kind of stuff tends to be done in a laboratory in a special lab dish.
0: In in vitro, a.k.a. Yeah. in the glass.
1: Right. Yep. You usually have a solution and you end up using a little pipette to immobilize the particular cell you want to uh, to, to manipulate. And now a lot of times they would use bacteria for this sort of thing. The idea being that the bacteria would then transmit the DNA to other cells. But we'll talk more about that in probably a future podcast. It's, it's really kind of immaterial to this. Uh, there was another downside. It's that you have to do it to one cell at a time, which is not terribly efficient. Nope. And another, uh, drawback to this approach is that you have to be really careful exactly where you inject that DNA. Uh, They found out that if they injected the DNA into the cytoplasm, it was far less uh, effective than if they injected it directly into the nucleus. or
0: uh, Possibly because the um, electrolyte solution in the cytoplasm was uh, degrading the DNA before it could do anything useful.
1: Right. So, you know, just like we said earlier, that just because you put a new gene into a cell doesn't necessarily mean you're going to see that gene express itself or be effective. But they found that it was much more effective if they did inject it directly into the nucleus. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's certainly useful within the lab but within real world quote unquote settings where you're you know trying to work on a patient uh, directly it's not now if you can develop a, a, a an approach a cure like within the lab within there and then implant those cells into the patient that might be a way to go but in general this tends to be something we think about in uh, terms of learning more about what's working and what's not working as opposed to a, an, an approach.
0: Effective, um, right. Yeah. Actual therapeutic treatment.
1: Exactly. So that kind of leads me to another one, uh, hydrodynamic pressure, which again, sounds, you know, it's pretty much what it sounds like. I didn't read
0: that much about this one. Uh, tell me, tell me what it is.
1: All right. So they found out that if you take a relatively large amount of DNA material. And so for a human, we're talking about actually just a few milliliters, but that's relatively huge amounts of <laughs> DNA. All right. Sure. And then you take a needle and you insert the needle into a blood vessel inside that person. And then you inject that relatively large amount of DNA very quickly into that blood vessel. Then this, uh, the hydrodynamic pressure will cause cells along the, the blood vessels walls, the endothelium, that's the, the layer that, the lining. Yeah, Uh the lining. Uh, it'll cause them to become more permeable as well as the parenchyma cells or parenchyma cells. Now these are like tissue cells. So this is like the cells of stuff that actually does work depending upon whatever, you know, organ you are targeting. Okay. So let's say it's the liver. All right. Well, they found that it also increases their permeability. So if you have that DNA material and you inject it very quickly into the blood vessel, then you can end up uh, having a lot more of that uptake. Yeah, it ends up a lot more cells are going to accept that DNA and potentially you will start getting that gene expression you're looking for. Um couple of other downsides to this now they, they've been using this with lab animals not with people all right so this is not something that's been tested on people but they tested on mice and rats
0: and it never got to the human stage because
1: well because uh, they found out that sometimes this uh, causes some uh, cardial problems some
0: car- and cardial yeah, and respiratory yeah arrest.
1: yeah so it, it, when they would inject uh, the the vein along the tail, of these critters, the mice and the rats, if they did it with a mouse. The mouse would start to seem to have trouble breathing for a couple of minutes and then recover. And everything seems to be okay. Rats could sometimes stop breathing entirely. And they found that by massaging the abdomens, they could, uh, oh. re- they could, uh, they could, uh, end up getting the rats to, you know, kind of start breathing again. But they discovered that using this approach put a lot of pressure on the animals, uh, Cardiovascular system. Uh-huh. And that it would cause, uh, everything from labored breathing to, uh, uh, irregular heartbeat. Uh, they also discovered that the animal's livers were expanding sometimes up to 240% of their original size.
0: Uh, I guess that weirdly makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of, of liquid, uh, well, yeah, processing. You're essentially, you're
1: essentially overloading the system, right. right? You know, and, uh, and so none of these, um, issues were permanent unless, of course, the animal did not survive that initial reaction. Mm-hmm. But the animal survived, then their various systems would return to normal, like their breathing and heartbeat would return to noble, normal within a couple of minutes. Uh, their liver would go back to being normal size within about half an hour. And some of their other systems would take up to two days or a day and a half or so to get back to normal. But they started to they also would uh very frequently start expressing whatever the gene was, so well, hey. that in front that side it was so, a success
0: so, so so all of these so far have been interesting, um but perhaps not the best way to actually treat human patients right um we've got a couple more to talk about, but first,
1: yeah, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. All right, we're back, so we've talked a little bit about a couple of different approaches that may we may never see used uh, as far as uh, human applications go. I mean there are there's work in hydrodynamic to try and make it a something that we could use with human patients, but uh, anything that would put that much stress on your cardiovascular system for someone who's already trying to undergo medical treatment is definitely not going to be the first choice, right? Right, no. So, let's talk about um well, let's talk about zapping cells. I was just thinking, you know, if we can't if we can't really stab a needle into a cell, if it's inside a person, and if we can't really expect to jab a bunch of liquid into a blood vessel and possibly cause a heart attack, maybe we could just shock the heck out of them.
0: Uh, yeah, that is clearly the next logical step. <laughs> um, no, no, but actually, it, it does make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, we've got those membranes. They're right. not going to let that DNA just go right on in. So how do we convince it that... We need to get this DNA from outside the membrane, inside the membrane.
0: Uh, right. Uh, okay. And one of, one of the really cool and important facts about cells that, that you, that you need to realize here is that cell membranes are basically insulators that are separating two charged regions. The, uh, the electrolyte or ionized solution inside the cell mm-hmm. and the electrolyte solution outside the cell. So. So they can, they can act as capacitors. Right. They
1: have, they have capacitance. Right. They do have capacitance. And if you overload that capacitance, things go wonky. Stuff happens. Right. So if you do it at the right amount of, of charge then it ends up creating these pores, these these temporary pores, P-O-R-E-S. So you get these little holes that form in the membrane. And it's temporary. They will actually heal back up. Within once,
0: uh, like half an hour or so? Actually
1: actually just a few minutes. A few minutes, mainly. okay. Cool. Yeah, within a few minutes after zapping them, assuming that you're zapping them with the right amount of electricity, because that's really <laughs> important. <laughs> yes, that's key. Um, so if you if you do it at a, a low enough uh uh or well really it's short high voltage zaps. Um Very short. Very low amperage. And so you're just doing these tiny little controlled zaps to the the cell membrane. These holes will open up, and then within a few minutes after you've applied it, they'll close back up again. So while they're open, then you can coerce DNA to go in, because DNA is a charged particle anyway. Uh, can...
0: Right. So, so especially since you've just changed the capacitance of, of that membrane, it makes it easier for stuff to slip through when right. it's also charged.
1: So you just, uh, you kind of, you kind of corral it mm-hmm. in. So you're, you're, you're driving the DNA in. It's not like it's just gonna, you know, oh, yay, zip. You actually have to, uh, guide it yourself. Uh, yourself being if you're a scientist or doctor who's doing this sort of thing, obviously. Yeah,
0: probably not like Noel. No yeah, offense. No
1: Noel, Noel probably would not do this. Uh <laughs> I think Noel does want to stab me with stuff, but uh probably not in a medicinal way. <laughs> anyway, this is called electroporation. Obviously you're you got the electro and the poration, you got them making the pores. The pores. So it all makes sense when you know what's going on. This was originally investigated in the nineteen sixties. So doctors began to experiment on cells within the lab that, you know, they're not looking at uh, in vivo yet. They're working in the lab, and they were overloading the capacitance of the cellular membranes. They were just introducing small amounts of electricity. Actually, originally what they were doing was they were using uh, equipment called electrophoresis apparatus. And electrophoresis is the manipulation of charged particles through a solution. Okay. So if I have a solution that's neutrally charged – And I put some charged particles in it, like some negatively charged particles, let's say. And then I generate uh, a negative charge and move it close to those particles. It's going to push them away, right? Because like charges repel one another. So you can actually move stuff through a solution this way. And often in chemistry, this is used to separate materials out from a solution. And in this case, it would be to... Convince DNA that needs to go through that gigantic gaping hole in the cell membrane right in front of it. And, uh, so what they did was they took this equipment that was meant to just guide charged particles. They short circuited it on purpose and tried to use it to zap a cell wall. So obviously with this approach, it wasn't what you would call precise. So, uh, but uh, they, they, no. they, they saw what the effect was, but it wasn't fully controlled.
0: Once, once they got it more under control though.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, because They did discover that it could affect the cell membrane, but they also discovered that you could fry a cell. But if you were able to get just the right amount of electricity at the right frequency of pulses, you could cause the cell membrane to create these pores and not harm anything inside the cell itself, which, of course, is obviously important. You don't want to kill the cell that you're trying to introduce the new gene into.
0: Uh, Right. Again, that is what we call a fail.
1: Yeah. Not not something you want to have happen. So. Uh, for a long time, they would work on this uh, in vitro. So again, in the glass, they would have uh, a glass of cells, they would use a, uh, a circuit that would encircle the solution that the cells were inside. And this solution in this case would be a conductive solution, meaning that it could also conduct electricity. You turn on the electricity for the right amount of time, causes the these pores to form, and then you would corral the DNA into the pores. And then you would check to see if the genes that you wanted to have expressed in those cells were, in fact, expressing themselves.
0: Right. Either either making proteins or or et cetera. If
1: if they weren't, you made them listen to Madonna over and over until they got the message. I had to make that joke (laughs) somewhere, Lauren. It might as well be here. You've got to make it. Fair, so, fair enough. Okay. All right, so, I'll allow
0: you the Madonna pun.
1: Thank you. So, uh, this was really promising. I mean, and in fact, it's promising beyond gene therapy. That's just one application of this particular technique.
0: Uh, right. These next couple things that we're talking about, um, are also really effective for, um, for introducing drugs into drug in delivery. Specific into cells. cells. Yeah. yeah.
1: So let's say that you have, uh, a tumor. And you need to have some sort of chemotherapy delivered to it. Now, traditional chemotherapy is essentially affecting your entire body. You you are poisoning yourself. Uh, you're doing it in a very controlled purpose, way, right? Yeah. But yeah, and it's and and it and it can be absolutely debilitating, excruciating. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I've got friends who have gone through it, and and it is it's hard to see. So. If, um, if you're able to to introduce that medicine directly to the cells that you want to target, you, then you can
0: target a very localized area. Um, yeah. And and since the 90s, I think they have been researching how to do this in in the body. In yes. vivo,
1: yeah, in vivo, and uh, and so that could mean that you have a very a much more effective treatment that has fewer side effects. It doesn't eliminate the side effects. But it might make them less, uh, traumatic for the patient. So the in vivo approach is, you, you might wonder, well, how could they use this electrical, uh, uh, technique within the body? And, um, it's not entirely pleasant, folks. <laughs> uh, they usually use either tiny electric plates or electrified hypodermic needles. Oh then,
0: man, you're saying all the words that I want happening to my body. They, Although better yeah. than, than cancer. So yes.
1: hey. So these, they would, they would go to the location of wherever it was they needed to introduce the genes. So let's say it's your liver again, cause that's a, a it's a large organ. It's one <laughs> that, it's the one they think that they'll have the most success okay. on early. Oh, cool. Because it's a large organ that's relatively easy to manipulate mm-hmm. compared to some of the others. So, uh yeah, they would they'd, they'd have to either surgically uh insert these plates or they would have to use these needles to introduce the electric the current, charge, yeah, right. and to to create the field exactly the way they want to to introduce the DNA material into your system. Um it's pretty invasive and that's one of the reasons why uh there are some researchers who are trying to find some other method to introduce gene therapy that's that wouldn't be as invasive as this approach.
0: Uh, Right. I think I think didn't have a pretty bad reputation when it was uh, when it was still in the in vitro. Yeah, you know, it wasn't
1: wasn't great. Um, They they were working with bacteria and they were killing bacteria cells. Pretty frequently, left
0: and right massacres. They
1: really just needed one cell out of the batch to live to work as
0: a proof of concept. Right? If you're like,
1: if you're like, there's a, I got a, I got a couple thousand cells in this in this dish, and only one of them has to live. You don't necessarily go easy with the uh the the big old switch that says fry them, and so it did get a reputation for being a violent method of gene therapy delivery. But then that's because they were working with bacterial cells not necessarily working with, like...
0: And it wasn't in a... W- it right. wasn't in a patient. Yeah. if, so if they if could it afford had been. to be a little bit violent. Right. But Although, it gave it a bad
1: reputation. Yeah. So yeah. then you've got patients who are like, uh, I really don't want something where you're, you know, essentially putting a cell-sized electric chair into my body. Please, can we do something else? Uh, so, yeah, there there's another approach that essentially creates the same effect but it does it in a totally different mechanism.
0: Uh right, sonoporation. Yeah,
1: sonoporation. So, sono, you start to think, uh that sounds like it might have something to do with sound and it does. It actually uses ultrasound. So, you use ultrasound at a particular frequency directed at the cells and the cells will end up forming these pores just as they would with electroporation.
0: Uh, right. This was really pioneered in, in this first decade of the 21st century. Yeah. And uh, basically, you, you put stuff that you want to get into a cell into what's called a microbubble. Um, Or or a bunch of micro-bubbles, really. Mm -hmm. So exposing a cell to to this ultrasound will create the pores, changing the membrane's conductivity and making it easier for stuff to slip in, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the same ultrasound will also burst the micro-bubbles, which will release the stuff that you want to get into the cell in a place that makes it easy to kind of push in there.
1: Oh, interesting. So you have not only not only is it opening up the doors but it 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 unleashes the stuff that you want to deliver to the cell itself
0: exactly and yeah. you don't have
1: to worry about it being absorbed by the body some other way before it can get to where it needs to go
0: uh right right um it can also burst the entire cell if you're not careful so that's a thing that you have to watch out for bummer <laughs>
1: (laughs) Yeah, although from what I understand, uh, a lot of uh, scientists refer to this as being much less invasive than the electroporation in vivo approach.
0: Oh, sure, sure. Well, any time that you're talking about ultrasound, it's something that can be applied um, externally. Yeah,
1: yeah, which is pretty cool. I mean, I've actually seen ultrasound also being uh, suggested as a means of directing nanoparticles to go straight to particular cells. So it's like having a nano-sized RC car moving around the body. (laughs) Doesn't work unless you're Martin Short, and you've got uh, uh, Quaid inside of you. Dennis Quaid is inside of you. You know what I'm talking about?
0: I I know I know inner Space. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm I'm familiar with it. I, I'm I, well, twisting I'm, the night away. I'm just thinking about the um that that old Epcot ride, Body Wars. The whole wasn't Body Wars, it? Yeah. yeah,
1: that was in the old Wonders of Life Pavilion. That is sadly no more.
0: I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm sad about that. I, that was not my favorite pavilion when I was a kid. But Body maybe. Wars was
1: great. Cranium Command even better. <laughs> Guys, all right, Disney fans out there who know what I'm talking about with Cranium Command, write in and tell me whether or not you loved Cranium Command, because honestly, that is one of those attractions I wish Disney would bring back.
0: Also, if anyone here happens to say work in the advertising department of Disney, um, call us because we we will clearly do Disney ads.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so getting back into the actual uh, gene therapy. So there are other methods we could discuss. There are a lot of things called viral vectors. And you might wonder why why would you ever use anything that has the word <laughs> viral in it?
0: Well, uh, well, there's there's a bunch of different of different vectors that you can use mm-hmm. um, and, and, and viruses are one of them. And this is. So fascinating to me because you're using, um, really virulent viruses. Yeah. Um, the, the, the kind of like, like HIV or herpes, right. um, in order to, you kind of scrape out all of the harmful uh DNA contained inside of a virus and put in whatever you want to get into a cell
1: right, and that sometimes can be RNA it can be DNA or it can even be uh a chemotherapy drug like we right. said before and the proteins on the outside of the virus on on the virus shell itself act as kind of like a homing system right it'll only end up uh interacting with particular types of cells because that's what viruses are right they are uh, they they have this this uh this, the structure that has them interact with very specific types of cells, and they're very good at doing that.
0: Uh huh, they're, they're really good at, at invading a system, finding the kind of cells that they, that they want, and, mm. um, and, and putting stuff in there.
1: Replicating like crazy. Yeah, yeah. So in this case, instead of replicating, you would put in the material that a virus would need, to deliver either genes or whatever you wanted. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a future episode because that's an entirely oh, huge yeah. topic that we could cover.
0: Yeah, uh, that and there's also, um, what's called these biodegradable nanoparticles, which is a similar, uh, a similar vector system in which you're directing, um, charged particles that, that are going to go to a specific place and do a specific thing. But, um, but instead of being, Kind of piggybacking on a virus, you're you're doing it with with nanoparticles that can be can be controlled through the properties of those particles.
1: Gotcha. So it's so it's a synthetic approach that kind of mimics what the virus does, but allows us to have an external control system where we say this particle we want to go here and then it can do what it needs to do. There are other approaches that we could talk about and probably will talk about in future episodes, for example, impale affection.
0: Uh does this have anything to do with staking vampires?
1: It does not. Uh Buffy had nothing to do with this. No, but it it's pretty much what it sounds like. You know, you're impaling stuff and you've got the right material on whatever it is you're impaling. So let's say that uh let's say that you're you've got a cell that's the size of uh, I don't know, Spike. And you've got, <laughs> you've got a delivery system that's the size of Buffy. And the steak is covered in, in, uh, in, in strawberry jam. And she stakes Spike and now he's got strawberry jam in his system. That's essentially what this is, but we'll go into more detail in a future episode, I promise. Um, and there's also a laser beam gene transduction. We could go into that, but that's another one of those that's sort of on the developing side and I thought that that would really lend itself well to a second episode if we decide to do that further down the line. Uh, we really wanted to concentrate on the
0: these uh, these physical yeah these very processes.
1: exactly the ones where people are using technical tools right now to experiment and see which delivery systems are the most effective because again just like just like I said with the very first one. And every single one of these approaches, even being successful in introducing the DNA to the cell does not guarantee that you're going to get the result you want. Right. So it's one of those things that we're still learning those basics.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's, it's really, it's really scary. Um, and, and a lot of the things that I've, that we've talked about, I feel like we have ended on, on, notes of, of like, and that's terrifying because, um, but it's also incredibly promising. You, you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, especially for children that have incurable, terrible genetic diseases mm-hmm. that really have no other way of receiving therapy. This is, uh, this, this is their best shot and it's wonderful.
1: Right. Yes. And, and while we're talking about, just like you were saying, like these high risk approaches, the risk is going down. Over time right. because we learn more and we yeah. learn how to, how to apply it more effectively. So I personally think this is a, a very promising area and, uh, you know, we didn't even touch on gene therapy to do stuff like give you crazy, awesome pecs or something, you know, like, <laughs>
0: yeah, none of the sci-fi. Yeah, things. there's
1: there's plenty. We could do an entire episode about that, too, about. All right. Well, let's assume that we have perfected gene therapy uh, applications. Now we're able to go beyond just the medical approach. And, and we
0: all either um, look like Ethan Hawke or can shoot bees out of our hands.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Dogs with the bark and bees come out. Um, fantastic. Well, I look forward to our Wicker Man future. Uh <laughs> No, this this really is an interesting topic. It was certainly something that I I found fascinating as I researched more and more about it, because uh, I, I had heard the terms I knew in general what was going on, but I didn't know from a technical level or even a cellular level exactly what was happening. And it's pretty exciting stuff. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how this field develops over time. I'm hoping within our lifetime, we Absolutely. start to see some of these diseases just get eradicated through gene therapy. All right. So guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes, you've got some sort of topic you think we should cover and maybe your name is Mike and you know how to use Twitter, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook or even Tumblr. We are tech stuff HSW at all three of those locations or if you want to go old school and email us. Hey, you can do that too. Our email address is techstuff at discovery.com And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.